You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Hello, Will Harris. <laughs> and hello, listeners. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Spooky 2019. Spooky! This episode is following up our last one where we talked about the Harpy. We're now talking about Greek myth monsters this year. This series, once again, the point is to take a monster, look at how it would evolve, think of how we would naturally achieve either the appearance or the actual thing, Mm -hmm. or as close as we can get to both of those, and how we would explain its weird abilities or traits. How would we build this monster? using the limited tool set of Earth-based natural selection. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a little silly. It's not meant to be the definitive say-so on either evolution or this creature. It's speculative evolution with a Halloween-y twist. This episode, we're talking about Gorgons. Gorgons! Gorgons! So the Gorgon, or Gorgons, usually there's three, are a very famous... Like, nowadays, a lot of people know about them. Usually, they call them Medusas. Yep. Though that's inaccurate for one very clear reason in their stories, usually. But Gorgons are really well known as a Greek monster today. But they did not originally look like how you are probably picturing them right now. Gorgons were a Greek monster. Once again, feminine. It was a a woman monster that was... Girl power. Girl power. Uh, Horrible power, evil. Uh, (laughs) These were often described as having very round faces with large eyes, typically a flat nose, usually prominent teeth. Like they're typically shown with these like almost curved tusks, very much like an oni, which we referenced last time. Often with, sometimes it just says serpentine hair. Okay. Which could be like dreads. Right, right, right. Or weird, like, predator dreads, tentacly hair. Other times, it says snakes for hair. Yes. Usually specifying venomous. Okay. They're usually supposed to be venomous snakes for hair. And winged. Really? Yes. The original versions of Gorgons were winged females with a prominent face features, but nothing else. Interesting. Yeah. Now... You may be saying, no, you did that last episode. We sure did. (laughs) And the truth is, yeah, they're actually really similar to harpies (laughs) in the old mythology. Now, they have different stories with them. Very prominent, you know, very distinctly different stories. But no, they're actually very similar to harpies. Interesting. They're nasty, winged women. Uh, Which, once again, probably speaks volumes to the mentalities of, I'm sure, the men telling these stories. It might indeed. (laughs) (laughs) But that's actually what Gorgons used to be. And so, right now, you're probably going, no. (laughs) They're like snake mermaids. Yeah. Yeah, which is better. Yeah, they're half snake with a a, a woman's torso and then snakes for hair. Why would you try to take snake women away from me? Yeah. And that is the most popular image of a Gorgon. Okay. But it did not come around until 1981. Interesting. In the Clash of the Titans movie. Oh, so not really a Greek mythical monster. Not in that form. A now, reimagined Greek monster. The stories have not really changed with them. Okay. But their specific form. And man, oh man, did Clash of the Titans rebrand them. Not only is almost every picture you can find of Medusa or a Gorgon a half-snake female, they're also almost always carrying a bow and set of arrows, just like she was... In Clash of the Titans. So Clash of the Titans did for Gorgons what Jurassic Park did for the Velociraptors. Exactly. Cool. I guess T-Rex would be a better <laughs> But But absolutely. Like, it, com- it is such a... Or Dilophosaurus. Yes. Oh, no, that's, that's the perfect <laughs> example. It is such a classic movie and such a, a linchpin in our culture that that is now how Gorgons are portrayed. I've never seen a classic Gorgon portrayed in film or modern media. Interesting. Like, I can't think of a single example where I've seen a something made in recent years that shows them as a winged with a very odd face. It's almost always snake-like with 
pretty normal feminine features. Usually, sometimes they're ugly. Like, sometimes they're craggy-skinned or scaly-skinned, and they're... Yeah, I've seen that. ...disturbing, but they still just look like a woman uh, or a, a human face, you know. The old stories of Gorgons sometimes gave them scraggly beards. Like, they were... Huh. They were troll-esque. Interesting. In their features, with the, the flat, bulby nose and unusually big eyes. Round face is a is one of the big ones, like... Almost every description I found was, no, round face. And the sculptures of them shown with round faces. Hmm. This actually gets into the famous superpower that they're always said to have, which is that gaze that turns you to stone. In original writings, it wasn't a gaze. It was a visage. They were so gosh darn ugly, <laughs> it turns you to stone. Yep. That's... I would rather be stone than yes. have to look at this anymore. <laughs> and that, that was actually the idea. It wasn't laser eyes. Which is what it's typically shown as today. Because do you know how the one did it in Clash of the Titans? Oh, I bet it was with laser eyes. With laser eyes. <laughs> so it's not supposed to be the Medusa's gaze or the Gorgon's gaze. It's looking upon them turned you to stone because they were supposed to be so horrifying. Interesting. In many stories, it takes a step past that where it's not just that they're unpleasant to look at, that they're kind of troll-esque. But they're just disgusting. Just... Uh, uh, unsettling, you know, hmm. bad, evil, disturbing creatures. Blah. And so that's what Gorgons were. Okay. We've updated them nowadays to be snake mermaids yes. with snake hair and a bow and arrow for some reason. Now, when you say snake mermaids, we're, we're, you're saying lower half of the body. It's, it's a snake, and at the end of the snake, the front end of the snake is a person. It's a person's torso. Arms, face... And then snake hair. Yep. And so that's the, the modern depiction of a Gorgon. With that depiction, there are some key features that, that usually show up as well. In Clash of the Titans, she had the bow and arrow. She had a rattlesnake tail. Okay. And she would activate her gaze to turn you to stone. So that was something she did to right. you. So it wasn't just if you meet their eyes... You get turned to stone. It was, I use this, I turn on this power. Exactly. And that's been true in a lot of the other versions that you see with Gorgons. That they gaze at you pointedly to turn you to stone. And then a lot of times they give them a rattlesnake tail. But I think that's also just artists like to give snakes rattlesnake tails. They do. Yeah. It's among the coolest tails It really is. It's not the coolest tail. (laughs) Uh, There is another Greek figure... That connects to this. So this may not have been wholly Hollywood just reformatting something. Hollywood. Hollywood may have been drawing from the story of Lamia. Oh. Which is another character who sometimes is pictured as a half-woman, half-snake being. Which you may also know them as I know, as soon as you said it, from the Monster Manual. Yes. In D&D. <laughs> and in... Now her story is ridiculously disturbing so (laughs) lamia was originally a beautiful woman as all women were originally almost in greek stories they always describe them it's important you know that they were pretty let me spend a a page yes describing how attractive this woman was who was noticed by zeus as most women were in (laughs) greek myths yeah only the beautiful ones how long did they write about it all right i'll check it out (laughs) a whole page you say (laughs) This one's a page turner. Oh. Hmm. After Zeus went down and messed around, Hera found out. And as Hera always does, because she can't punish the king of gods. Right. She attacks the women he was with, or the offspring of the women he was with. Naturally. So she curses Lamia to kill her own children. Oh, great. Driving her insane. And then she is now cursed to be a sleepless creature, which Zeus fix, fixes by letting her remove her eyes. And it's I couldn't find any explanation for how that fixes that. Because oh, Zeus said so. Because she couldn't cry them out or something. Because she couldn't, like, now that let her stop weeping or something like that. Hmm. But she is now a creature that goes and feeds upon other children. Yeah. And there's even more creepy parts of her story, which I don't feel like getting into because it's not necessarily important. Thanks, Greeks. But she's super disturbing. And sometimes she, sometimes she's depicted as this monster, like literally a boogeyman to be like, 
you better behave or right, right, right. Mia will come get you. Eat your broccoli. Yes. Like, or whatever they had in Greece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your goat cheese. Eat your... <laughs> Thank you. That's good. That good. And so sometimes she's that. Other times she's a seductress, you know, luring men and everything. <laughs> right. No, those two go together. Yep. Right. <laughs> but it's that it's that eyeless. It's it's, it's, <laughs> it's those bedroom not eyes. Yes. It's that look in her eyes. <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> that I assume is there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but often she's depicted as half snake. So maybe they were influenced by that. Okay. There was a version of Gorgon-esque character in the old Hercules TV show. Hercules the Legendary Journeys was a TV show back when I was a kid that I loved a lot. It crossed <laughs> over with Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, cool. Yeah. In this, there is one episode with a monster that's called the She-Demon. Naturally. Yep. And it is a half-woman, half-snake creature. Very picturesque. You know, typically beautiful. You know, or... or, or classically. Classically, I guess yeah. is the right word. The media's depiction of beauty. On the top, wearing a long dress so you can't see the snake part right away. Ah, that's how they get you. That would lure, seduce men to come to her cave. And then would turn them to stone when they got there. Now, she turned them to stone... With the tip of her tail, which did have like a rattlesnake rattle on it, but in the show it would glow and basically a magical sting is what she would use to turn them to stone, Hmm. which was interesting. So she was like a kind of weird fusion of these two characters, where there was no snake hair, there was nothing like that, and she was just a woman on top. There was nothing snaky or monstery about her. Right, right. Until she whipped you with her tail. Snake mermaid. Snake mermaid. Sir made. Sir like made. A, like a serpent. A s- made. A snade. A smade. <laughs> so those are all different versions that have been interpreted for a Gorgon. Now the original story, or most famous story, the one that's most well known, and almost every time you've ever seen a Gorgon or Medusa show up in anything, it's this story it's retelling. All right. And it is the one being told by the the Clash of the Titans. Okay. This is the story of Perseus. Yes. Which is typically what it's called, the story of Perseus. Now, Perseus also shows up in a lot of the other myths. Right, right. All those. Perseus, Odysseus, Theseus. Yes, all the us's. A lot of yes's. <laughs> <laughs> Greek myths were actually a lot like, they were like the original version of the MCU. <laughs> we're like you may not have known this but hercules shows up in jason of the argonauts oh interesting yeah like he's one of the argonauts <laughs> well he's he's the one if you go to hell's kitchen you're gonna encounter hercules yeah like yeah. he's on the boat and then leaves midway through the adventure to go do hercules adventures nice like they had heroes cross over all the time because cool. you would tell a story i go that hercules was fun i want him to hang out with perseus yeah <laughs> so in this story Perseus is a demigod. He is the son of Zeus and his mother, Danae. She gives birth to him. He is now part god. So he is a demigod, which a lot of heroes in Greek myths are. They're part god, which right. means they're superpower. Because Zeus was Zeusing it all up. Yep. Zeusing on everything. <laughs> she was the daughter of the king of Argos, which connects to the Argonauts, yep. but that's a different story. <laughs> a different king of the island of Seraphos fell in love with his mother. Perseus could tell that he was not an honorable man and protected his mother from this king. And to try to get rid of Perseus, the king came up with a plan. So he held the big banquet and said, everyone bring horses because I'm going to give these horses to Hippodamia or Hippodamia, who is she who is, who is master, uh, master she horses. who's master's horses. Right. Hippo. That's, what her name means. Yep. <laughs> he was going to give them as a gift to her or as a as a marriage proposal was the ruse. But Perseus had no horse. So Perseus being a hero is like, ask anything you will of me and I will do it because I'm a brash hero and I say things like this. <laughs> and the king went, oh, it's so convenient you said that. Please go kill Medusa of the Gorgons and bring her head back to me. And that's... Was that's where Perseus decided to go off to make good on his promise to this guy he hates. Right. Because Greek myths. What are we, some sort of suicide squad? (laughs) So he sets off on a journey to kill Medusa. Now, the important note here is there are three Gorgons in most versions of 
of mythology. Sithano, Uriel, and Medusa. With apologies to people who know how to pronounce these names. Oh, absolutely. Scientific names? That I can do. <laughs> this nonsense? Ah. No. <laughs> Their names translate to, in, in the same order, the Mighty, the Far Springer, and the Queen. Okay. So Medusa was, if not the Queen, that's what her name meant. Right, right. Of the Gorgons, three sisters, all of which were immortal except for Medusa. Right, because... Because it, Medusa has to die in the story. Naturally. <laughs> so, that's never... I've never seen anything that references why the other two are immortal. But there is a story potentially for why Medusa's not immortal, which came on later in the mythology, but it has to do with that she was originally a fair human who uh. was sought after by Poseidon, who raped her in Athena's temple. Naturally. So, of course, Athena turned her into a gorgon of, well yeah because she did. was insulted because greek mythology <laughs> yeah 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 well. it's not the most progressive of the stories <laughs> it's victim blaming yeah, yeah. like hardcore really so there are versions that say medusa was that's the reason she wasn't immortal and that she was the fairest of the three while the other two were horrifying right and that was the trade-off you're beautiful but you have to die yeah so now that's not all versions of medusa in some version, she's just not mortal. For, she's just not immortal for some reason. But Perseus sets off to kill Medusa. He uses some tools, which are important. He gets a golden sword from Athena. He gets a special sack to put her head in so that he doesn't have to look at it. He gets a special helmet from of Hades that helps him hide. But the important part is a polished shield oh, yes. that he uses to sneak up on Medusa by looking at her reflection reflection. And not her. And that's how he avoids being turned to stone. Yes. He, he does this heroic thing by sneaking up on her while she sleeps. Yep. And beheading her. Yep. That's like a hero Like would a do. hero does. <laughs> and then he escapes with the head and uses it to turn another person into stone who turn, who was not hospitable to him. If I remember right. Right. And then the story goes on. And in the and movie, the he uses it to kill the Kraken, which was released in to On to command. be sacri- uh to claim a sacrificial maiden. So that's huh. the Clash of the Titans movie he uses it for something dramatic, but in the story he doesn't. So shield reflective shield reflection so he doesn't have to look at her and then gets when he the head beheads her from her blood is birthed Pegasus. Oh. Yeah, Pegasus the flying horse that's super duper famous was birthed from the bleeding neck of Medusa. And there's that. Yeah. Not just Pegasus, but Pegasus's brother, <laughs> Phil Chrysor, the Sword of Gold, who is just a dude, just a young man. We're both born from there because Poseidon had sex with her. There was magic in her blood. There must have been some magic in that old severed head. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's those are Gorgons, and that's the story of. Cool. Them. Let's evolve that. <laughs> Now, of course, this one really requires the magic disclaimer. Yes, 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 yes. No magic. We can't evolve magic. At least we haven't learned how. We are using the tools of natural selection. Once the wizards tell us muggles how it happened with them, (laughs) we'll know genetically how it happens. But, so we have to skip some magical abilities. The most obvious one is we can't have horses with wings jumping out of her neck. Yeah, it's probably not going to... But there's enough interesting stuff to touch on without that. Absolutely. So, how do you evolve a Gorgon? So, I assume Mm -hmm. that we are going to go with the Neo version of the Gorgons, where they are snake people with snake hair. Yes. Partially because the original are very much like harpies, which we did last time. Very similar. And also because snakes. And also because it's better. Now. Yes. Let me put on my snake hat. Snakes are cool. But mm-hmm. these are creatures with long snake-like bodies, but forelimbs. Yes. Now, snakes very famously have lost all of their limbs. I've heard that about them. There are snakes today that retain limbs. Yeah. But they are vestiges of the hind limbs. Absolutely. Similar to how moas lost the front limbs and retained the hind limbs. Snakes, there's no precedence for snakes, proper snakes, Keeping their front limbs and losing their hind limbs. Yes, it's very true. But there are other animals that have done it. It's true. 
like whales have pretty much done that. Absolutely, but yeah. they're not very snaky. So <laughs> the Silosaurus, maybe <laughs> the two what that come to my mind. One are an am- a group of amphibians called sirens. Yeah, which are which sounds like a Greek creature, which are long salamander like aquatic amphibians. Yep, that have front arms and no legs. But the other one, which I much prefer for this, <laughs> is a type of amphibian which are sometimes called worm lizards. They yep. are lizards that... So leglessness and long legless bodies have evolved like two dozen times oh, or yeah, something in, in lizards. Snakes are one example, but there's tons of other lizards. Amphisbanians are these burrowing, usually very small, worm-like lizards. There is a genus called bipes. Bipes! Whose name means two feet. And it has this long tube-shaped body, kind of earthworm-looking, but very like earthworm, rigid. Mm-hmm. Not rigid like hard, like with ridges. Yes, it it it's got. It almost looks like it's made out of rings. Yeah, like a slinky. Yes, uh, sort of. But they have these two. It's like a vacuum cleaner hose. Yes, they, yes, absolutely. Like there a long vacuum cleaner hose. But they have their front limbs, but not like little dinky flaps. No. Like, Fully little mole arms, mole arms, and then they have round, <laughs> short faces. Yes, they do. With these beady eyes and this wide mouth that looks like a little smile. They're adorable. They are ador. It is one of nature's best goes at something that is adorable and creepy. Yes. No. Absolutely. This is an animal that is a vacuum cleaner hose with. Two mole-like arms, not like huge mole-like arms, but like they're no, like and robust. When they move arms. around, they're using them, so they're, they're functional arms. And this round, smiling face—that's mm-hmm. my vote for where we start. The bipeds is one of those creatures where, if you saw it poke around the corner, you'd be like, "Oh, hey, you!" And yes. then as it came over <laughs> and just kept coming, you'd and be like, didn't ah, end. "Ah, ah!" <laughs> 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 Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So all we need is giant bipeds. Yes. Giant bipeds is one way. Now, I <laughs> did also have an idea, so I looked it up because there are some fossil snakes that have more notable limbs still mm-hmm. present, and one of them, Tetrapodophis, had what seems to be four functional limbs. Yes. So if we started from there, and you could lose the back limbs, we could lose the back. And get to a similar position. Disclaimer time. Tetrapodophis is a very controversial specimen. Yeah. May or may not actually be a snake. And also has disappeared into the private collection where it may or may not be legally allowed to be. So who knows what Tetrapodophis is. But I see your point. Exactly. Yeah, that one's <laughs> the one a long potential like, example. A skink-like yes. creature that has four limbs and then loses the back ones instead of losing the front Absolutely. Now, bipeds definitely gives us our best... Uh, uh, definite stand-in and definite uh, um, working model. I do really like <laughs> the bipeds. Absolutely. I re- I, there will be time for snakes. There's always time for snakes. I Bipeds is just, it's too good to pass up. So if, we're, if we are using bipeds, and in, even if we aren't using bipeds, the next question to me that's obvious to answer here even before we get to turning something to stone mm-hmm. and figuring out how that plays in, snake hair. So I'm assuming that our bipeds is gigantic. Yes. So I don't know off the top of my head how big bipeds is. It's itty bitty. But they're very small. Like, very, very small. Yeah. But there is precedent for lizard, legless lizards to get rather large. Like, yeah. Like uh, the glass lizards, which can be like five or six feet. Mm-hmm. There's also snakes... Yep. Famously, the largest snake, which we talked about in episode three, was Titanoboa, mm-hmm. which was in the 40 to 50 foot range. So we could get a big sized, a true uh, Naga, which is an yes. Indian set of semi-deities <laughs> that uh, have something to do with the underworld, if I'm right. I think so. They actually look very much like how Medusa is drawn nowadays. Also in the Monster Manual. Yes, they are. So Titanoboa presumably, oh, wait. but for a fun fact, in the monster manual there are gorgons, which are That's metallic true. bulls that breathe petrifying gas on you. Yes, they do. Because what? Wizards. 
So Titanoboa presumably reached its size as a combination of equitable climates. Yes. And being probably something aquatic. Yes. Semi-aquatic more so than digging. So we could certainly have a bipes-like organism mm-hmm. that evolutionarily follows a trend similar to snakes that started out as possibly fossorial, <laughs> episode three, <laughs> and then starts invading terrestrial niches and then perhaps give ri- gives rise to a form that finds the right combination of climate and suitable habitat and suitable prey to become ridiculously large. Yes, and we would need something big if we were wanting to have it have a a human resembling torso right like we're not huge animals but a snake that was as big around as me that's a big that's a big snake and that's not me saying i'm notably big but just (laughs) oh no even a bit as big around as me a no a a human human withed snake is going to be a very long snake so our bipes once it's above land, you can now have it using its arms for other things. And I like I like catching food. Whatever ancestor is coming from, whether it is a bipes ancestor or whether it's another lizard, but I like it being fossorial, and that's why it has the arms. Starts out as a digger. It's a digger, like me. He's a digger. <laughs> so now we have a, a, a bipes that is giant enough that its head is human-sized. Yes, and now it has arms roughly the same size as yours. Right. And I like the I like the idea that because of its ancestry, they're still beefy. Yeah, it's got these be- clawed like arms, beefy clawed arms for these, these for... big mole hands. Yeah, which brings us on to your question. So, if we why have this... are there snakes in your hair? Yeah, how? What would you have that would make someone say you had a wig of snakes? I have an idea, but I'll let you go because <laughs> I'm sure you have an idea. So I think our ideas probably sync up because I it was. <laughs> The favorite one I came up with. But I did have some... There could be displays. Sure, sure. You could have displays that seem very snake-like. You know, if you have... uh, Well, like, um, iguana crests. Right, right. Where there are these multiple spines sticking out that sometimes are kind of bendy and floppy. Right, right. And so, like, you could have this display on your head that, especially if you can move it like a an anole fan you know make it go up and down when you want to display it you could have it looking like you have these wriggling snakes on your head and there is precedence for animals having snake-like body yes, parts there's a, those caterpillars mm-hmm. that look like snakes to ward off predators absolutely yeah i don't know why something this big a human-sized two-armed lizardy snake creature Needs to ward off predators. Uh, uh, maybe so those harpies. <laughs> I just must say, maybe it's it, it could be. <laughs> I'm almost hesitant to suggest suggest this because I just thought of it and I like it, but I don't like it as much as my other idea. Yes, but it's actually kind of fun. What if it was a lure? I was thinking that maybe it's a lure. <laughs> yeah, it's hey that birds. You're... Ooh, look at all these little snakes. Ooh, you're drawing it. Look at them all. Witches. Yes. Totally cool. Also, I'm going to take this opportunity to say when we were talking about the harpies and I tried to think of like the example of primates that glided, Kalugos. That's what they're called. They're Kalugos. Kalugos are like real closely related to primates and they glide. I went with sugar gliders, which we probably have edited out of that episode because yep. they're marsupials and I didn't want to sound like an idiot. But Kalugos, they, 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 they had skin wings. That's what that that's what our harpies are. So, so when, they could be lures. When they're luring the, the harpy Kalugo ancestor, or yep. descendants. <laughs> the Kalarpy. The Kalarpies. Or. Or maybe you actually do have some little animals sitting on top of your head. Maybe you do. So it could be something more like brood care. Yep. That was my answer. Carrying your young. <laughs> <laughs> and there is precedence for this. So amphibians. Yes. Very famously among vertebrates do this. And in the best, creepiest way. Where you'll have frogs that carry their eggs in their skin. Yep. Some of them swallow Uh. their babies. (laughs) And there are also Sicilians. Yes. Which are little snake-like amphibians, aquatic amphibians, who I don't know that they carry their babies, but they do spend a little bit of time with their babies eating their skin. Yeah, they, they they shed their skin. They shed the outer layer. And then the babies use their itty-bitty little shark teeth. If you ever look up a picture of a Sicilian, they're like little shark worms. They've got these this row of just 
razor sharp teeth. Oh yeah. And the babies eat the shed skin of the mom Both. by ripping it off of her. <laughs> so they're feeding on yes. the mom. Mm-hmm. Our bipeds could feasibly be brood carrying absolutely on its head and the the image i immediately get is the wolf spider which is is probably one of the most famous of something carrying its stuff because it's the one that most people have accidentally discovered mm-hmm. and this is the one where you've probably seen a video online at some point of someone touching a spider that looks weird or squishing it is the sadder version mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden little spiders go everywhere and then spiders and it's just you have summoned <laughs> what have you unleashed <laughs> wolf spiders and certain scorpions mm-hmm. uh but not many others will actually carry the 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 wolf spider mother will carry the egg the web egg sac on her abdomen and then when they hatch they will gather around her legs and on top of her abdomen and stay there until they're mature enough to leave. Yeah. So she'll actually literally be covered in walking baby spiders Ooh. for a short time. Cool. So we, like, I picture very much that of just them clinging to the the head and moving around it some. But if they have little hands, they could be literally grabbing the scalp. Holding on. So in ours, you wouldn't have the snake heads hanging off necessarily. You would have right. tails Unless they had some way to, like, attach themselves. Right, right. Like, if it, there were potholes in there, like the frogs for the sna- the babies to Well, and I was thinking that curl you, into. you could also have it like the frogs where the eggs are embedded in the skin. Yes. And they are hatching out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, now, this would make that it mean that it is likely temporary. Oh, absolutely. Like That they're only going to be... look like this for a certain amount of time. Maybe they are only looking like that when they're not underground or underwater or... Right, right. Like maybe they come out and so you only ever see them unless you go hunting for one. I also like the thought... Because uh, then the next question is you have all of... You know, 40 feet of body. Yes. Why are they on your head? Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of there are crabs who will have their little egg pouch... Yes. On their abdomen or, you know, somewhere on their body. Yeah, where the tail would be on a lobster. And they use their legs and claws to groom it Mm -hmm. and keep Mm -hmm. it clean. Well, if you got all your eggs and little babies on your head, then you could be using your hands up front to keep it groomed and cleaned. I'm doing the motion right now. None of you can see this, but I'm a method actor. I'm grooming my head babies. And you could also be moving food up there. Yes. To feed your head babies. There could be something about, like, if we go with the evolutionary path that you were fossorial, came out to start getting bigger, you know, so came out from underground, and then if it was aquatic, like Titanoboa may have been, to then get to those large sizes where you're supporting your weight partially in the water most of the time, you eggs drown. And so maybe it's, I have to keep it above my head because I can't leave the water entirely. Ooh. Or I don't want to, but I can pop my torso right, out. Right, because there's an amniotic egg. Yes. Unlike the amphibians, these eggs need to be out of the water. So I can now carry them above the water without having to myself be isolated on land. This is a weird thing for a vertebrate to do, for an amniote to do, yeah. and I'm, I'm totally on board. Yeah. <laughs> now, two other ideas, yes. just to throw them out there, because I think there's also the symbiote idea. There's, yes, no, that's very true. That it could be a different species... That takes residence up top, mm-hmm. and maybe they're protecting the the host in some way, maybe by turning things to stone. More on that, is <laughs> and the host is grooming them and feeding them the way that it would groom itself. It's seeing them as part of itself. The other other option, which is way now we're talking fish, yes, is that it's sexual dimorphism again. That's true, and it's like an angler fish where the big one's the female, and you have all these little males up top. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just there making sperm for yeah. when she's making babies. Yes, very true. I want to throw those out there. I'm not sure I like them mm-hmm. as much. I do like the symbiote one to a degree, because mm-hmm. uh, you could have it that it's either protecting somehow or it's something that just happens to be there. Uh, But there could be like a, a camouflage angle that true when I'm, when I'm crouched waiting for food to come by to pounce on and I'm laying down 
this stuff on my head, which is actually alive, makes me blend in some, you know. Right, right. If it's some sort of, some sort of, uh, uh, not plant necessarily, but some creature that blends you into the environment. Right, right. You know, so there could be something there. If it's a symbiote, then we're also not limited to making it the same species, and we could actually put snakes there. Yes. They could actually be proper snakes yeah it could be some weird parasitic snake normal sized snakes yes and if you want to explain why they're in the head you could even go the parasitic barnacle route oh yes and say that they're up in the head because they're rooted into the brain Ooh. and they are controlling Ooh, that's the body. interesting <laughs> that that actually be a very interesting version because then that would suggest that there are the the uh uh Bipes giganticus yes. running around, and then when they become infected, it's a gorgon. Yes, like that. That already exists. Yeah, it's just a normal animal. But the ones that so parasitic barnacles. Yes, yes. <laughs> go ahead. Get onto crabs, and the crabs have their little egg pouch area, and the barnacles uh, uh, get in the crab and then pop out in where the eggs pouch would be. And then start feeding hormonal signals into the crab's body to basically trick the crab into taking care of the parasite like it would its babies. And they feed this into the crab with a root-like structure that enters the crab's body. The original paper that described that, because I wrote about it for SciShow recently, said that it, they, he, the guy cut open this crab and found copper tubules that ramified through the entire body. Yep. <laughs> it's more barnacle than crab now. So, <laughs> so maybe we have both, actually. Maybe it's yeah. that the bipeds do brood their babies on their heads and then the parasites take over, or the parasites are, are their own thing. Well, and you could get a, you could get a parasite thing that's, that's rooted into the brain and, and is like a, like a tube worm. Now that's looking very snake-like and feeding, but not actually a snake. And I was gonna say that, and again, this this pains me. Yes, that the parasitic in your brain thing would be a real weird thing for a snake to do. Yes, but it's right up invertebrate alley. Absolutely. So like tube worms. Yeah, some flexible like 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 a parasitic bobbit worm type that thing aren't burrowed into the sand but instead have burrowed into the head mm-hmm. of this animal and have linked themselves up with the nervous system that's and actually the the way that um the parasitic barnacles work and this is also how those tongue-eating isopods work that we talked about in our zombies episode mm-hmm. of spooky the tongue tongue-biting isopods are these little uh arthropody crustacean looking things that get into a fish's mouth and clamp down on the fish version of a tongue and then sit there in the tongue in the fish's mouth. But only the females do that. Or rather, yes. the males that do that become the females. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of males hang out in the gills. Yes. So maybe <laughs> the wormy dudes in the head, to explain why there are so many of them, Yes. maybe that's a bunch of males and there's a female in there somewhere. Or it could be that there's, they are interacting with. You know, uh, uh, if there's any like, hair going down the neck those are smaller males versus the big ones on the head because you know sure sure it can go down a bit but it doesn't it just shouldn't be the entire animal and in truth we can have all that parasitism without any mind control if we want to like this is true doesn't have to it can be these weird barnacle things that like to hook onto this animal still feed on stuff but are drawing from the blood or maybe this animal's lifestyle particularly well feeds them right or it's that you are now on the head of a creature that no one's going to mess with. Yes. It just ends up that way, like barnacles on a whale. And maybe while it grooms itself with those the, the, the arms, it's also grooming you. Mm-hmm. And actually, it, it, you're also in a place where it can't bite you off. Yeah, exactly. So maybe they are parasites that it doesn't mind. Or it's harder for it to reach, because if it is a, a digging animal, it might not have all the mobility of its arms to fully scratch right. its head. Or they help protect it. Yes. I like our parasite. I like our parasite worms. Yes, that is fun. So it's some kind of weird worms that live up there and then also are invested in protecting the host. Yeah. 
So they have defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see where you're going. See where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Which would bring us to them having something that approximates turning enemies to stone. Yeah. So the for stone turning, for petrification, my first thought was some kind of venom. That's exactly where I was going. Some kind of neurotoxin, something that the neurotoxin that neurotoxins attack the nervous system some way. Yes, and a lot of animals yes. will use those will use neurotoxins as paralytics. Absolutely, or and, you know, or some other kind of venom as paralytic. Shrews do this. Yep. A bunch of invertebrates, the, like the spiders, do this. Paralysis ticks. Yeah. Is because of a neurotoxin they release. So you get the venom in the body, and then that prey, usually, is paralyzed by it. Absolutely. Now, my favorite idea, right off the bat, which is a, you know, uh, a pretty pretty obvious connection, going from the snake, the snaky gorgon, mm-hmm. was a spitting cobra. That was also my thought. Because the reason I like that is not only does that a ranged thing, so it's I don't have to touch you, yep. uh, which goes also a little nicely with the archer. Yeah, but they aim for the ice, which means if you have a shield, yeah, that you're looking at it in your mirror shield, you're safe from the ve- the spitting venom. If you look directly at them, you're vulnerable. Yep, to paralysis. So spitting cobras, spitting cobras are the sort of the the, the classic example of this within snakes. Absolutely, uh, their teeth are mod of the fangs that are normally injecting are modified to shoot venom. Yeah, the holes pointing straight ahead instead of down the fang so it squirts out and not only do they aim for the eyes they're real good at it they are i'm shockingly accurate love there's a great steve Irwin where he interacts with the spinning cobra and he has this big like uh like surgery like, room cliff yep. face shield yep and is just there with the cobra and everything is on this face shield the venom is just dripping off of it <laughs> once he's done interacting with this one so our parasitic worms mm-hmm. could have, and there are invertebrates that shoot stuff as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. That shoot. I can't think of one that shoots venom. I know it exists. No, I mean velvet worms shoot glue. Yeah. Uh, but like a velvet worm, it could be like they shoot their glue. This is shooting a liquid. I think there's a spider that infuses that it can shoot. I know there's a spider that can shoot web, and it's able to produce it through the thing somehow and i think it does infuse it with venom so it has a paralysis effect interesting uh i'd have to double check that so don't quote me on all the parts of that but i know there is one that shoots web and i'm pretty sure it's able to incorporate part of that into the web so our worms Mm -hmm. could do basically what velvet worms or spiders are doing or spitting cobras Mm -hmm. launching venom at enemies all right all right i like that i like that and also we can uh if anyone's asking like how do they aim uh, there are tons of wormy both feather worm style things and polychaete worms that have crude to slightly advanced eyes oh yeah so having eyes well enough to aim toward a target is not impossible within something like this yeah, no, that you could do that. And honestly, if you wanted to make them true arthropods that had developed a wormy shape, yep, give them compound eyes. Oh, absolutely. So, like, I don't know what kind of eyes centipedes have. I didn't notice them while taking the eye notes. Nothing ever mentioned them as standing apart yeah. eye-wise. Or, like, caterpillars mm-hmm. that have... You know, a lot of caterpillars have long bodies and then just their legs up front. Mm-hmm. It could be spitting caterpillar-like... Ooh, are they are these parasites the larval form of something? Ooh, that's really interesting. They could be those predatory caterpillars with the spiky legs that grab flies. They act like a twig Ooh. and then well now I'm thinking that it's like a a, a, a ichneumonid wasp thing mm-hmm. where the eggs are laid in the head mm-hmm. <laughs> of the of the bipes and then they hatch into these snaky larvae yeah, that... that hang out out there until they're ready to I emerge. Like, I like that because that, that can explain why it's on the head. If this creature can't groom its head for some reason. Like, if it, it doesn't have the mobility. Sure, you know, sure. That the very top of its head is the hardest spot to get to. That would be a good place for them to lay it. Yep. The rest of its long, snaky body, it can easily yep. reach around to and groom them off. And then it also gives a reason for them to be protective. Not necessarily of the creature, but of their brooding site. Yes, exactly. 
Uh, and it explains why there's so many of them. Yes. Because it's a nest. It's an infestation. So Ooh. I and then the par the, the venom gets into the eyes. Paralytic effect. Yes. We could even, if we really wanted to get wacky with it, there are disorders that can affect uh, vertebrate bodies that cause excessive ossification. Yes. And what I mean by that is that, you know, normally in your body, between your bones and with your muscles, there are tendons and ligaments and things. There are certain conditions that can cause those tissues to harden, to form like bone is supposed to, or cartilage to form into a version of bone, to mineralize, or even muscle tissue. I can't remember the names of any of these, but... Fibro fibrosplasia, ossificans, progressiva. I can see you thought of this too. FOP. <laughs> <laughs> the stone man syndrome. Yep. Which is... Why? How I came up with how I came upon it while uh, looking for things. Yeah, the stone man syndrome. Usually, if you're like injured, like if you bump your arm, right, when right. your body goes to heal that area, a due to a genetic condition, it regrows it as bone. So, as they put it, you literally start to grow a secondary skeleton. Yep, within the tissue of your body, and so minor injuries can slowly progress you further and further down this stone man path this also came up in episode 53 about the baculum yes with the discussion of whether or not there are bones in the human penis mm -hmm. which it turns out probably not but the cases that were seen were probably this kind of thing yes. an injury or a genetic mishap led to just more bone formation than was intended mm -hmm. so something like that like if there's if there's a a way for these creatures to infect you with something well i know that i don't know the underpinnings of that disease that disorder From what i found with that one it's a genetic there's a genetic defect there's something it's something you're born with but there are venoms toxins in venoms that oftentimes work by taking advantage of things that can already happen in the body mm -hmm. and making your like well, you know like making your blood clot yes. is something your body is already primed to do the toxins in the venom are just activating it and messing it up. Triggering it too much or in the wrong order. So maybe these toxins have some sort of epigenetic effect mm -hmm. or something that triggers ossification. Doesn't even have to be intentional. Yeah, no, It that... could be an accidental side effect of and the if toxins. If the toxins are, are uh, neurotoxic at their base, you could, due to your nervous system being sabotaged, be paralyzed, and then a unfortunate side effect is you also start to ossify. Yeah. So after you've already been, you know, petrified, you literally start to petrify. Yes. If you don't become food for the giant bipedes. Yes, exactly. Which we haven't talked about what it eats, but it's pretty big and you're pretty tasty. Yep, I would assume. And that's that could also be something where like there are certain toxins that affect us in weird ways uh the oh, box yeah. jellyfish is one of my favorite examples where the box jellyfish did not evolve to kill humans right it evolved to kill fish but it so happens that that toxin they use is real effective in primates interesting and that's why it's so horrifying for us it's not just horrifying in general uh from what i've read there were there would be certain animals that if it got sung by them probably wouldn't do too much hmm you know, it's why uh, not all toxins affect all animals the same way. You know, one animal could get stung by a bee and not react to it the same way as us. So maybe that's something that is an unfortunate side effect in humans. That's pretty you know, cool. It's not something that happens in every animal because you don't want to add, you know, a whole bunch of bony pieces to the thing that tends to die around you because of the things on your head. But in humans, even if you survive, it's... Ooh. it's got this weird side effect i also kind of like the idea that so we have this creature that i love now that is a <laughs> gigantic bipes bipes by the way b-i-p-e-s for anyone that wants to look it up yes yes that's gigantic bipes whose head is infected by larvae yep of some kind of wasp or horrible moth 
Which probably means it lives somewhere very warm, so this is happening year-round. Yes, and that's where it's able to grow very mm-hmm. large. So it's tropical. But also the parasites are probably feeding off of the animal itself. Yeah, it's blood flow, it's maybe t- the upper layers of tissue. Yep. Which would imply that our giant bipedes, when infected, is likely to be unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And thus perhaps acting erratically. Yes. Which might explain why people come into contact. Because bipedes today are very secretive. Yes, absolutely. They're digging, you don't see them. But if you're unhealthy and you're desperate and you're looking for food and you don't know what to do. Or if you've got host manipulation going on and your larvae are saying, hey, go to the surface where we can metamorphose and fly away. Yep. Now you have this erratic behaving, round faced, little smile, two big mole arms giant bipedes with a bunch of worms coming out of its head yeah that if you look at it funny all of its larvae will shoot their venom at you i like and because that also means that the only time you would typically see a gorgon is while infected yeah exactly so that means there could be time later on where people suddenly go oh wow no i found i found a hairless gorgon yeah normally they're not like that yeah they're, I, they're rather pleasant. Yeah, weird. I also like this because it means that cute, adorable bipedes is still fairly innocuous. Yes. Just a victim. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> now this this big host body. Yep. Cool. That also, that, that does pair fairly nicely with the version of the story where Medusa was punished by the gods to yes, be a Gorgon. Does. I like that. Cool. Now, we did manage to go through a whole discussion on snake people without actually invoking snakes. Yeah. But maybe there'll be time later. Yep, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, if, we'll we, see. if we can fit it in somewhere. We'll see. <laughs> I like our bipedes Medusa. I, I enjoy it. Bipedes Medusa. So, bipedes Medusa for this episode. And tune in next episode to see where our next creature will be next Saturday. So, a week from now. We're going to wrap this one up. Indeed. Two more spookies to go for 2019. Absolutely. We're halfway through. Please let us know if you have any comments on Bipes Medusa. Yes. If you have your own ideas or suggestions, speculative evolution is fun and cooperative. How would you turn someone to stone? And we'll see you next time for even more fun discussion. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.